Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. Because again, we want you to realize that you are a part of life change. See, we believe that Jesus will make you better at life and that your life is just better with Jesus in it. So our mission is to help you connect to Jesus. That's that's it. That's what we're all about here. And you are part of something much bigger than yourself. Everybody say legacy. Um, the, the series uh, really started a few years ago now, a couple years ago now, when we launched this campaign. And what we believed was that the reason why buying the – because the building is just a building, right? It's, it's just a building. It's brick and mortar and, and – and, uh, but there's something powerful about environment. There's something powerful about community. And, and, and really that's what it was about. It was about saying, no, this is a, this is a place where life change happens. And it's not just enough that you and I meet here together and have a great time and, and enjoy church and life and what Christ is doing in our hearts. But what it is is that we set this church up so that it's reaching people for generations to come. And that's why we called this our legacy campaign. Cause we felt like actually uh, solidifying this church in this community is what really helps it reach people for generations to come in. We want our, our next generation to jump off of our shoulders, not just have to like grind through and do what we have to do right now, which is, hey, we have to step up and be sacrificial and be generous and go big. And so uh, we called it Legacy. And one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible when it comes to, there's a bunch, but this may be my favorite. If you have your Bible, open it up with me real quick here to Matthew chapter 26, or you can follow along on the screen. I know some of you are on your tablet, or on your phone. You do whatever it takes, but you get to the Bible. Uh, Matthew chapter 26, there's this incredible story. I'm going to read it for you this morning, and if and if it's okay with you, I'll Bible study for a minute, and then hopefully car- carry you into just a couple of, of stories and inspiration, and we'll close today with, I'll show you something that I'm very, very excited to show you. Got to show it to you last week. It was so brief. I want to really take some time with it today. So Matthew chapter chapter. 26, it says this. It says, while Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. And when the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste? They asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Now, aware of this, Jesus says to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing. The poor you will have with you always, but you will not always have me. And when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. And truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Bow your heads with me one more time. Heavenly Father, we pray that from this text and this story, God, would you please speak to us? God, would you help us to step into the story? Um, let it change us. Let us walk out of this place different than the way we walked in, Lord. That is our prayer in Jesus' name. And we all said, Amen. This is a fascinating story, and, and, and again, just to Bible study with you for a moment here, there's there's some key and unique features going on here. This story is actually told in two other parts of Scripture as well, and so you can actually go read the other versions of it and even glean a little bit more information. It says that Jesus was in Bethany, and which is, again, if you go look on a map, Bethany is this little town outside of Jerusalem. And the reason why this is significant is where it is in location, but where it is in time, because Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, 
He's just a couple of days away from what we would call Holy Week and his triumphal injury and Palm Sunday. And then, of course, the days leading up to his death and his resurrection. He is literally just on the precipice, really. He's standing on the cusp of something incredible. And he's in the house of Simon the leper. And I take comfort in that because I love the fact that Jesus hangs out with weird people. Or dysfunctional people, or crazy people, or outcast people, or people that, I don't, you know, I don't really know Simon's story, we don't really know a lot, but the fact that he was Simon the leper, we don't know if he had been healed or recovered from, it would have technically been taboo, or tamay is what they would have said, to actually be in the house of a leper, and Jesus, I don't know what's going on there, but I take comfort in this, is that uh, if you ever went to church and felt like I don't belong then I need you to get a different glimpse of Jesus because Jesus searches out and seeks for people that don't belong. He was literally accused by the religious people of his day as being a glutton and a wine-bibber, and they were mad at him because he hung out with prostitutes and tax collectors. So again, if you ever felt like, I'm not sure if I belong at church, then Jesus, I promise, he absolutely loves you and would love to engage in conversation and apparently a dinner party with you. And he wants to have incredible relationship. I'm just telling you there's something powerful about this story because again, it just shows you that there's no one outside of the, the, the scope of Jesus's love and grace. There's no one that stands on the outside and Jesus is like, man, I don't know about that guy. Because you have people like that in your life. You're having a party. You'll start thinking about who you want to invite. You're like, I don't want to invite my mother-in-law. She's outside the scope of my grace. You have certain neighbors. You have certain friends. You have certain coworkers, And you think they are outside of the scope of my grace. There is nobody apparently. Because the only people that Jesus get mad at are religious people who make it hard for people to get to Jesus. It's, it's just fascinating. You just, and if you, if you've been in church your whole life, God bless you. You need to examine that. You might want to consider, wait a minute. If Jesus showed up today, it might just me be that he would not be in my church. He would be out somewhere else and he might be mad at me because that's the only people he gets mad at are religious people. And is there something that I would ever be doing that would prevent another person from drawing closer and closer to Jesus? Just something to think about, but that's beside the point. It's just the context. So they're sitting in the house of Simon the leper and they're about to have a dinner party. And this woman comes up and does something kind of weird because in the other story it says that she takes this, this perfume and begins to like literally pour it on Jesus and she washes his feet with her hair. It's really, let's be honest, that would be weird. Can you imagine at your dinner party? All of a sudden some woman washing that dude's feet with her hair. I, I mean, that'd just be weird. And so this, this thing breaks out and it's clear that it was not like anything that everybody was expecting to go on because the disciples are upset. They're like, well, wait a minute. That's, and, and really what you see is, this is what you really see when you look at the story closely. It's a story of two people. There is a woman, you find out her name is Mary in the other story. And then there is the story of Judas, because again, it says that is Judas that is the one that is indignant. So you have a story really of two contrasting people. You have a story of two contrasting hearts, if you will, because one of them is greedy and the other one is generous and not just generous, but extravagantly generous. See this alabaster thing, this alabaster thing was so expensive. They all knew it was expensive. That's why they stop and they say, Hey, pump the brakes through. This could have been sold and given to the poor. And the other story it tells you it was worth one years wage. Now I need you to do some math real quick here. Think about how much money you make in a year. Think about that being found. And the alabaster jar, it was almost like a, um, 
it was, it was this thing that held perfume and oil. It was kind of like a marble type texture and it was round at the bottom and it came up to a, a, a and it came up to a narrow top. And the reason why it was broken open was because once you broke it, you couldn't reseal it again. And so it was like this one shot thing. And once it was open, there was no going back. You couldn't put the perfume back in there. And so this thing was so expensive. And so can you imagine taking your best offering, your best moment, saying, I got a year's worth of wage and I'm going to spend it all on Jesus right here, right now. But again, not everybody was happy with that. People were upset and angry at this extravagant gift. And, and really, again, the other story tells you why is that Judas was the keeper of the of the money, Right, you got, a, you got Jesus and his band of merry men. They got to have food and travel and expenses and all that stuff. And so it said that Judas was in charge of the money bag, and he was only mad because, well, he used to dip into the money bag to take for himself, and that's why he was angry. But this woman gives this extravagant gift of generosity. Now, there's there's usually about three different kinds of gifts that you see in the Bible. Really, two that we think about, and then this woman kind of displays a third one that you see throughout Scripture. The idea of tithing. Everybody say tithe. So the tithe was this ancient practice of saying, hey, we take the first 10% of all of our increase and all of our income, and that goes to the Lord. And then the second thing that they dealt with was offering. Everybody say offerings. Many times we just say it and we lump it all in together. They thought of it as two separate things. They had all kinds of different little offerings, like a free will offering. It was just simply, hey, that's my tithe, but this is above and beyond that. I'm going to give that just because I want to. And that was what was called an offering. And they are distinguished because the prophet Malachi even says when he talks about the people, the people People would become cold in their generosity. They'd become cold in their giving. And he said, you've actually stepped over the line. Now you're robbing God in tithes and offerings. They were, they were thought of as two different things. But really, there's a third thing that you'll see in Scripture. You don't see it often. They're occasional. But I would call this an extravagant offering. If tithes, offerings, and all of a sudden somebody comes out and does something over the top and radical. Like when Abraham offers his son on the altar because God asked him to, that's extravagant, right? And sometimes you've been angry at your kid and you thought, I could do that. But, but you don't, right? Praise the Lord, you don't. And so, but you just, it crossed your mind at one point in time. And then so, the, the, like there's a story of Solomon when he's building the temple, they receive an offering and the offering is so ridiculously extravagant, the amount of gold and silver and all the stuff that they gave. There's, but, but you know, again, that's a large amount of money. Jesus points out what I believe to be an extravagant offering. He's watching offering time, which is weird. I don't do that. I never watch y'all give. Uh, I don't even know what y'all give. I purpose not to do that because I just know I'll... I'll see you differently, maybe. You know what I mean? You don't want to see somebody, and all of a sudden you find out they give a lot. You're like, hey, how you doing? What's going on? And then know somebody else that's really wealthy, but they don't give much of anything. You're like, yeah, yeah, hey, how are you? Good to see you this morning. Hey. I just don't want to do that to you, so I greet you all the same, because I don't, I don't really know what you give. But that's not Jesus. Jesus actually watches what they were giving. And he said that lots of people came by and gave re- really good offerings, uh, apparently. But this one widow came by, and she gave these two mites, these two copper coins. And he goes, that's extravagant. And they're all like, that's chump change. What are you talking about? You can't buy a cup of coffee with that. You're like, no, no, she gave it all. Like, you don't understand. That was her last two copper coins. The the amount doesn't make it extravagant. It's the heart behind it. It's the sacrifice behind it. That makes it extravagant. And, 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 and some people, again, get mad. Judas got mad. The disciples got mad. When Jesus was watching the offering, people were confused at why Jesus honored the widow's two mites. And he goes, see, one of the things that you want to 
to be careful of is what goes in your heart when the preacher starts talking about money. You might want to gauge that because Judas got angry at this extravagant offering. Some people get upset when the preacher talks about money. And don't get me wrong, sometimes the preacher can just talk about money too much and where you at. And I get that. But if when somebody starts talking about tithing and offering and you get upset, you might want to like ask yourself why? Like why 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 am I so upset? Can you imagine going to the doctor and the doctor kind of like, you know, cuz they kind of poke everywhere, right? It's weird. It's cold, weird gowny that ties in the back. It's uncomfortable. He starts poking around everywhere. And every once in a while, if you've got something wrong with you, when he goes to poke somewhere, all of a sudden you go, ah, that hurts. Like, why did you do that to me? And the doctor's like, well, I didn't do that to you. That already existed in you. And there's, see, the doctor would tell you that ought not hurt. (laughs) When I poke there, it ought not hurt. And if it's hurting, it's not me that's causing that. It's something inside of you. And I would say that if ever talking about money in church bothers you, you might want to ask, well, why does that bother me? Because again, it's not, I, I might do some poking every once in a while, but there might be something in you that needs to be healed or examined or figured out, or that might be a, a new understanding of God and generosity and why we do that what we do, because some people get upset when you talk about money. Judas certainly did. And so again, what you see is, is that Judas is upset because he, well, He's like, that's my money. I could have used that. I, that and that's what we do. The widow's, the widow's two mites. I'm sure she could have, well, that's my money. That's my two copper coins. She could have said stuff like, well, hey, look, when I have more, I'll give more. Well, if I had more, I would do more. Well, if I had, and she doesn't, she just does an extravagant offering, an extravagant gift. And so uh, here, here's this alabaster jar that's opened up. Now here's, here's the, the big question. Everybody say why? Like the why? There's two reasons why she does that. One of them is very practical, and it's this. Because when you look in, in, in the other stories where it's told, it's John chapter 12 is the other, Mark. I think it's Mark 14 and John 12 is the other places where the story is told. Well, if you go read John chapter 11, there's a famous story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And the why behind Mary's extravagant offering is quite simple. She's incredibly grateful. She's excited. She just saw her brother come back to life. She had a brother and a sister and the brother died and Jesus brings it back to life. And so she's just overwhelmed with worship and with awe and with gratitude. And and here's what you need to know. Here's the observation that really a generous heart comes from a grateful heart and a grateful heart is a generous heart. I'm pointing to the screen because I'm trying to throw the quote up there. There you go. Um, I, just, I should have one. I'm gonna touch the button. Um, but it just, it's so true, though. It's so absolutely true that whenever I look at people, look, there's generosity and gratitude, and they are absolutely linked. And a grateful heart is a generous heart. That's why I know people. And this is this is this is where you have to examine your own heart. When I think about where I came from. When I think about what Jesus rescued me from, when I think about my what my life would have become had Jesus not intervened in me, I can't help but be grateful. So the answer now becomes, Jesus, it's whatever you want. It's, it's whatever you want. I got nothing, I got nothing without you. It's whatever you want. What you brought me from, what you saved me from, what you redeemed me from, what you prevented me from, God, what you have done in me is so spectacular. You can have whatever you want. I don't even care now. Because my life would be nothing, it might not even exist 
without you. And so a grateful heart is a generous heart. She had just seen her brother being raised from the dead. She had seen resurrection in her life. And she said, man, whatever you want, I will be the most extravagant, generous person that you can possibly think of. But here's another reason. The other reason why is, is almost prophetic or metaphorical in nature. Because see, when Jesus was crucified just a week or two later, it said that they had to rush him off the cross. Passover week was there. They couldn't leave the bodies up. And so they literally pulled the body of Jesus off of the cross and they didn't even have time to properly prepare him for burial. Or if you remember, that's why the women showed up three days later with oils and spices so that they could actually do it proper. And so what this woman does is she takes these oils and perfumes and she does it again, prophetically even to say, Hey, I'm going to do this in advance. I don't even know that she understood what she was doing, but Jesus said, what you're doing is so profound is so powerful that this story will be told forever. You want to talk about legacy? This woman's story, because you got to think about this. Like the Bible has been translated in over 3,000 different languages. So 3,000 different languages tell this story of a woman who made an extravagant offering. And again, she just happened to be the right person at the right place with the right resources, and she stepped into her moment. And that's what we believe about this legacy thing. We feel like, okay, this is our moment. We are the people. We have the resources. This is the opportunity. This is our legacy moment. And we will just step into the moment. There are two stories that I want to share with you of, of, of legacy. The first one is, is, is this incredible story. I remember a pastor from Asia was telling me this story. And I found it to be fascinating. He was saying that Kublai Khan actually had the largest land empire that the world had ever known. Most people think that the Roman Empire was the largest because no, Kublai Khan had the largest land mass of dominance of any empire in the history of the world. It literally stretched from the Poland in the, what would have been to us, the West, and the Pacific in the East, from Siberia in the North, all the way to India in the South. They covered this entire thing. Well, the story of Marco Polo is, is that Marco Polo, of course, was a trader that traveled from Europe and he traveled East into Asia and he would come and it, 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 there's all these crazy stories, but one of the people that traveled with Marco Polo was a Christian missionary. And so Kublai Khan got to hear the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He got to hear the story of God sending himself through Jesus Christ to die and redeem mankind. And Kublai Khan was fascinated by the story. And he told Marco Polo, because when you return, send me a hundred Christian missionaries who are trained in your Bible and in your gospel and bring them back. And I'll cover the land with this because there's a spiritual vacuum. There, there, there's a spiritual need that these people have. Bring these Christian missionaries. So Marco Polo returned. Back to Europe. He apparently tried to tell some Christian missionaries, hey, there's an opportunity for you. If you'll go, if you'll send a hundred skilled men of the gospel and the Bible, and just, I, there's an opportunity there. Only two people attempted the journey. One returned after only two days. The other one got as far as the Gobi Desert and said, no, I'm done. I'm going back. And it was in that moment that Kublai Khan turned to the Tibetan Buddhists and said, well, my people have a, a spiritual need. My people have... Will you come? Will you send a hundred men skilled and trained in your Bible and your teaching and we'll fill and you know the story because that part of the world is covered with a Buddhist worldview and religion because somebody had an opportunity 
and they missed their moment. They didn't step into. They had the right people at the right time. They had the right resources and they didn't step into their moment. They missed their legacy. The other story that I think of. This is incredible. There's uh, back in the 1940s, there was a uh, a professor named Dr. J. Edwin Orr of uh, of Wheaton College. And when he was a professor, he was a professor of revivals and like church history. And so in 1940, he took a group of his students to Europe to go visit the home of John Wesley. Now, if you don't know who John Wesley is, John Wesley is a revival preacher. The Wesleyan and Methodist denominations kind of point back to this guy. This guy literally on horseback rode over 250,000 miles. I think if you do the math, he would have circled the globe almost 10 times on horseback based on how many times. He literally would travel, go preach in the morning someplace for breakfast, travel, preach another place for lunch, and then travel again and preach another place for dinner. I think he had over 40,000 sermons logged. That's a lot. I'd have got like 10 and just kept re-preaching the same ones at that point. But but the point is this, this incredible revival preacher, this man who made such a huge impact on the world around him, they went to go visit his home. And you got to think all these Bible college students who'd been taking church history and revival class are like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. And when you get to go visit somebody's house whom you admire and you respect and you go into the house and then you're like, oh, that's the kitchen. I wonder, I wonder what he had for breakfast. Was he a bacon man? Was he, you know, what, what, what did he have for breakfast? And like, and then they, they, they actually were able to go into his study and look at all of his old books. And, and then one of the historians had put, uh, one of his sermon notes on the desk so the students could look at the sermon. They're like, this is where he studied and read and maybe prepared sermons. And, and then they, they went to the bedroom and they were like, well, there's a bedroom. This is the holy place. Apparently there's a bedroom. And they went and they noticed that next to his bed, on the floor were these two worn out little circles and they noticed that and they said, Hey, is that, they said, yeah, that's where he knelt and prayed. And literally he'd prayed so much that he'd worn through on the carpet or on the floor, whatever it was, he had worn through two literal patches from spending so much time in prayer. It was a fascinating field trip for all these Bible college students. And so uh, finally, Dr. Orr is ready to round everybody up, put them back on the bus, go on to their next location and, and visit their next place. And he starts, because you know when you're a teacher, you always got to count the kids and make sure you didn't lose one. And he starts counting all the kids and he realized that he was missing one student. And so sure enough, he goes back into the house, looks around, walks into the bedroom and finds one of his students who had knelt down in the same two patches just like John Wesley did. And he didn't disturb him according to the story. He just listened. And the young man was praying, Lord, do it again and do it in me. Lord, do it again and do it in me. And he was praying this over and over and over again. And finally, Dr. Orr went and tapped the young man on the shoulder and said, Billy, we have to go now. He was referring to Billy Graham. And it was this incredible moment where somebody realized that God is going to do something. God is up to something. God is going to accomplish his purpose in the earth. But God, if you're going to do it, God, would you do it in me? And I would say, you know, can that be our church's prayer? Lord, do it in us. You've done it before. You've done, will you do it again and will you do it in us? And some people find their moments and some people find their calling and their purpose and they step into it. And some people are presented with legacy moments and they step into it. So this is what we believe. We believe that this is our 
legacy moment. It's one of many. There will be all kinds that come into your life personally. This is one that has been presented to us corporately. This is our, our church moment, our church legacy. There is a, a video I got to show you real briefly last week. and I had to rush through it because service had gone so long. But I want to share with you that again. This opportunity. Again, it's just, it's an opportunity. But it could look like this. Like, again... The little Shriner statue, that's not Jesus holding the baby out there. We want to make this our own. You can keep rolling the video. As a matter of fact, see, what I think would be so cool is to take over this building and then just so make it ours. Make it, because again, it's great to set up and tear down. It's so great to have had this opportunity, but let's be honest, set up and tear down gets old. Um, if you would pause real quick here, you know, at, at the next chance you get, this is what, again, the, the sanctuary, being able to own it to, cause there's all kinds of sound things. Like this is not a permanent sound system. I, the sound cushioning, like if you've ever complained, like it's too loud, it's too quiet. I know it's both. If you're up here, it's too loud. If you're back there, it's too quiet. There's, there's a perfect spot somewhere and you don't know where it is, but what a cool opportunity. Keep, keep rolling here real quick. Um, Oh, you know what would be so dope? We, we talked about doing this. Um, what, what, did I say dope? I'm sorry. I'm a child of the 90s. I don't know where that comes from. But in the back, like to be able to put in a permanent uh, audio and video and sound and whatever, but also a nursing mother's room. Like how cool would it be? Because like I get it, man. I've got three little kids and, and I got to be honest, your kids bother me when I'm preaching. I got to be honest. Like I have spiritual ADD and I'm like, that kid's crying. Did I say something wrong? Did I offend? I don't know. Because weird things crossed my brain. And so anyway, I'm just kidding. I love your kids. Hey, y'all want to hear a funny story? Pastor Aaron, our dear friend, he was, he was talking about their nursing mother's room. And they were like, I think, raising some money or getting excited. He goes, come on, we're going to do something for nursing moms. How many of y'all are nursing moms out there? Raise your hand. Come on, raise your hand. And he was like, he didn't get it that that would be weird. And so he's like, no, 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 really, come on, who's, who's nursing out there? Raise your hands, be proud. Like, nobody, yeah, I'm lactating, I'm over here, like, what? <laughs> he made it real weird, apparently, and the whole staff made fun of him for, still to this day. So anyway, we won't do that. If you're nursing, you just quietly slip back in there, we won't, we won't call you out for that. And so, um, but hey, we love, we love moms, we love kids, I have three kids, I love kids. Um, let's, let's keep rolling here. And so, oh, this is, so this is what's so cool, when you come into the building back here, or uh, when you come in the front doors, the, the first thing on your left is, is the restrooms. And maybe maybe one of the most important things about a building is the restroom, but we won't talk about that. But but when you pass the restrooms, this whole back wing behind you, that's currently uh, Shriner's offices. We don't touch any of that right now. I would love to make that an entire children's wing. And there's a cool way that we can actually go through and just put room after room down that wall where they have windows looking out. And then um, it's just a really cool opportunity to make these rooms special, to make them unique, to decorate, to do things that we just can't can't do right now and keep rolling here because the other thing that we get to do too hopefully is expand what we do for our elementary and middle school students and so this whole wing over here to your left even there's a big kitchen back there um that is like way more than i think what we would ever need and we'd like to be able to take both of these two rooms and expand what we do i actually even think like splitting our elementary into two groups is really important that's again something we would love to do now but just lacking space really for it and so i think it, i think ministering to kids in their own age bracket and being able to reach them where they're at so there's an opportunity to kind of expand what we do there you can keep going there's uh, i don't remember what's next now it's really cool to see it like this though isn't it 
Oh, this whole front area is over here to your right. What I'd love to do is there's like almost like there's no foyer. There's no place to hang out. So we kind of makeshift foyer back behind you. But I'd actually love to put in like a a cafe and a coffee bar and some seating and make that whole front area nothing but foyer. I'd love to be able to host groups every night of the week and just do special stuff out there for people. That Because, again, there's something powerful to fellowship before and after service and being able to hang out. And then um, if you want to keep it rolling, I think... Oh, even being able to have like, because again, we have a multi-purpose room across the street. Being able to hold classes. There's certain classes that we want to be able to do that we, again, there's just a limitation of space. There's, trust me, we have way more vision and ideas than we have money and resources. Can I get an amen? And that's, that's a good thing. Um, if, if you don't, you're not dreaming big enough. Um, and so what we want to do is this, is I think that's, you can kind of roll back to the end there, but um, it's just an opportunity. It's an opportunity to create an environment where heaven and earth meet. To create an environment where we help people connect to Christ. So if you would, this is Miracle Offering Sunday, and hopefully if you've been preparing and thinking and praying and planning and all those things, then you're ready to say, hey, look, you know what? Let's start this year off right. This is technically our last year of this campaign. We'll come back around to one more anniversary, but this is our last full year. According to the Shriners, they do, uh, I think they've given me roughly until kind of May of next year. Um, and so again, this is it. And I know sometimes capital campaigns uh, can be much. I know sometimes it can kind of wear on a church. We went into this knowing it would be a three-year campaign. And so thank you for your patience. Thank you for rolling with us. Thank you for believing with us. Um, and for all of you who are new to this process, maybe you just started coming in the last six to nine months, or maybe, heck, maybe this is your first time here and you're just finding out about it. Hey, thank you for enduring and hanging and rolling with us through this process. This is not a normal Sunday. Um, this is not what we would normally do. This is special. This is legacy. And this is our miracle offering. And so what I've asked you to do is to give your very best offering. Again, in the scripture, there's tithes. That's faithful giving, steady giving. There's offerings. That's occasional. That's like, no, there's a need or an opportunity or something kind of special. But every once in a while, there's an extravagant offering found in scripture. And this is where I kind of ask you to step out in faith and ask yourself, hey, God, what would you have me do? What what resources do I have? What can be maybe potentially extravagant to me? Would you bow your heads, close your eyes, and we will receive our miracle offering. It's so great. Two years ago, we kicked off this whole thing with $100,000 raised in one single day. Over the next 12 months, we raised another couple hundred thousand dollars, another hundred thousand dollars almost right in that range there on the second miracle offering. We've been just building and building and building. We're just at about $600,000 right now. And we're on our way to putting together the funds so that we can create a legacy environment. So, Father, I pray for these people, God. I pray, God, that, that you would bless them, God, that, that you would take notice like you did with the widow's two mites, that, God, you would see the extravagant sacrifice that some of them are making, and, God, would you take notice of that? Lord God, like the woman with the alabaster jar, God, would you take notice of that? And while some people in this world might call it waste, Jesus, you called it worship. And you said it was so powerful. That her extravagant gift would be told as a memorial, as a legacy, if you will. That literally in 3,000 different translations of the Bible and countless sermons preach God, this woman's extravagant offering has become an incredible legacy. God, help us to step into our legacy moment today. We pray in Jesus' name. And we all said, Amen. 
Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.